I've listened to Everywhere by Tim McGraw since probably before I can remember anything. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Everybody and welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I am James, and with me, as you probably have guessed by now, is Connor. One of these days. One of these days? Yeah, one of these one days. One of these days, I'll have a catchphrase. That's not a bad one, you know? Maybe your catchphrase could just be one of these days. <laughs> it feels a little contrived, like you just lifted it from Tim McGraw. Yeah, but uh, for a little while it'll work. Yeah, it will. It will work. It could be yours for a little while. <laughs> My goal is just to see you smile, well, audience. Oh, I thought you were talking to me. <laughs> wow. Yeah, ain't that the way it always ends? <laughs> I'm excited for this week's episode. I've been wanting to put this Tim McGraw album on the podcast for so long. I've tried so many times to like squeeze it into the schedule. Why not? And there's always been something else to do instead. It's either we've just done a country album, we've just done a 90s album, we are coming up on a holiday, or we have, you know, it's one of your pick weeks. It's just never worked out. And so finally, mm. 62 episodes in, we're making it to Tim McGraw. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Now, you're more of a, I don't, I don't mean you're a huge country music fan, but you're more of a country music fan than you are of other types of music. Yeah. And surely you know Tim McGraw. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, that's a, that's a yeah with an O in front of it. That's how much he knows Tim McGraw. Tim McGraw is right at that borderline era where, like, country music, right before country music, really started leaning into the pop music side of it. Mm. Yeah, he's pre-pop. Well, actually, I mean, I would argue that later Tim McGraw is a part of the country pop revolution uh, in some cases. Yes, you could argue that. But, you know, he's, like, not, like, as country as, like, your George Jones is. Oh, goodness. Yada, yada, you know. Like, it's still an, it's still a new style of country music, but it's not where we're at currently. <laughs> That's true. So you probably knew a lot of the songs on this album then. Uh, not a lot, maybe, but at least a couple. It's it's old. Older than you are, or as old as you, at least. I knew at least six of these. Wow. Okay, six out of 11. That's not bad. And some of them I could have heard and just forgot I heard. So again, country music was playing all the time. Uh, my grandmother was a big fan of country music. Yeah, country music, especially this album was on for me a lot too my mom had this album and loved it and i distinctly remember especially i mean where the green grass grows Mm -hmm. that was on all the time we would dance around to it and uh so you know there's a lot of like sentimentality behind this album for me Mm. which i hope doesn't affect its score but i honestly can't tell sometimes you know this one might be i might be in too deep i'll tell you okay thanks for keeping me honest but first i'll tell you about tim mcgraw if you didn't know gonna get a little backstory buckle up samuel timothy mcgraw Yeah, I know, right? His first name is not Tim. What? Yeah. He was born in 1967 in Louisiana. His mother, Betty, was a waitress, and his father was future MLB pitcher Frank Tug McGraw, who would eventually go on to play for the Mets and the Phillies. Tim actually didn't know that until he was 11 years old. He thought that his stepfather was his dad and thought that his own last name was Smith. And then that's when, for a school project he was digging around, he found his birth certificate and when he was 18, he got to know Tug McGraw. And they had a, actually a pretty close relationship until Tug's passing in 2004. Despite 
uh, not knowing that necessarily for a long time. He was also a baseball player himself. He played ball in high school, and he was a member of the Future Farmers of America, or FFA, if you're not familiar. He went to college at Northeast Louisiana University on a baseball scholarship, and actually, he didn't really plan on being a musician. You know, his ambitions were to play pro baseball until he sustained a career-ending knee injury during college. So that's sad. Yeah. We might have Tug McGraw and Tim McGraw on the... On the Phillies, you know, it could have happened. Think about all the songs we wanted to got, though. <laughs> that's a good point. Well, actually, uh, one could argue that that's not a good point, because a uh, little spoiler alert, Tim McGraw doesn't always contribute to his own songwriting, especially on this album. He's not going to get a bonus point for that. So no. the songs might still exist. They just maybe would sound different. They just want to be the same. And so, you know, these is shipping all that. How much of it, you know, is it the same song if the person singing it who made it popular... Isn't the one singing it? As somebody who cares and pays attention to music royalties for songwriters, I can assure you, Well, hang on. Royalties are different from whether or not it's the same song. Whether or not the intellectual property of that song is the same is different from if the song is the same. Well, okay, to be brief diversion into the technical side, every song that you hear on the radio has two sets of copyrights, right? One set is for the words and the music, for the songwriting, one set is for the recording, the master that you hear. They get paid different royalties based on different things. Mm. Yeah, it's very complicated. But the point is, Tim McGraw didn't go pro baseball. He got that knee injury. He decided to pick up a guitar. Legend has it that when college Tim McGraw first started out, his roommates would actually have to take and physically hide his guitar from him because he was so bad at playing and would play so often. But soon enough, he got over that and he was playing and singing for money And in 1989, he decided it was time to make the move to Nashville to pursue music professionally, as most country musicians did. In 1990, one of his demos caught the eye and the ear of Curb Records. It was actually through a mutual friend of his father, Tug, and Curb executives. The mutual friend heard the demo while he was riding along with Tug, and so he went to Curb Records and said, Listen, you gotta reach out to this guy. You need to hear this. Sure enough, they did, and they, boom, signed Tim McGraw to a recording contract. His first single, What Room Was the Holiday In, came out in 1991. <laughs> huh? That title just always makes me laugh because every time I hear it, I think of the Holiday Inn hotels. Right. Only like, what room was the Holiday Inn? It's a bunch of rooms. That's the point. Yeah. Tim McGraw didn't know this, apparently. He had to ask. He had to ask what room. Yeah. Well, it was a different time before he could just Google it. Mm. Yeah, that's what the problem is. That song wasn't exactly a huge smash hit. Uh, critics and DJs kind of said that it showed undeniable promise though so they were kind of already taking the bait on tim mcgraw a little bit he also kind of got a boost from his father's notoriety which helped him secure a couple of early appearances way before his music would get him there on his own you know tug mcgraw kind of did the michael buble's grandpa thing where he went to people and said hey put my put my son in there you know i don't think he put in any toilets though you don't know that though i don't know it but i'm guessing we'll talk about it yeah tim mcgraw's eponymous debut album was pretty similarly unimpressive. It's actually the only album he's released that never earned any RIAA certification or been on the Top Country Albums chart. So by Tim McGraw's later standards, a flop. However, Mm. I mean, I use that term lightly because it's still an early Tim McGraw album. It's still pretty, pretty decent. His second album, though, Not A Moment Too Soon, was his real breakthrough success. And I mean, what a difference. Not A Moment Too Soon was the best-selling country album in 1994, It features some big hits like Don't Take the Girl, Down on the Farm, 
and of course the controversial Indian Outlaw, which is one of the singles that got people talking about the record. Some of those singles took him to the top of the country charts and even up to number 15 on the Billboard Hot 100, which is pretty wild for a, for a guy who had virtually no success from the first album to see the second one explode like that. His third record, All I Want, continued that trajectory of pretty significant success. It sold over 2 million copies in the United States and debuted at number one on the country charts. That record is home to classics like I Like It, I Love It, which is the Nashville Predators' goal song for the hockey team. And actually, it was that third record. He, he went out on the spontaneous combustion tour in 1996. That is what led him to Faith Hill, who was his opening act. Oh, Faith Hill, Tim McGraw. Yeah. One of country's greatest superpowers. Yeah, tale as old as time, or at least tale as old as October 1996 when they got married. So as old as time. That's as old as time. Time didn't start before October 1996. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that brings us to Everywhere, Tim McGraw's fourth studio album. It came out on June 3rd, 1997, and it has tons of big singles. It, it was definitely his biggest album to that point. Only one of these songs is actually a cover, which is You Just Get Better All the Time. The rest are original Tim McGraw recordings, but like I said, he doesn't have any writing credits on the album, so no bonus point for that. Everywhere made it all the way up to number two on the Billboard 200 and topped the country albums chart, while in Canada, it also topped the country albums chart, but only peaked at number eight overall. In Australia, only made it to number 40. Sad. It had four number one singles, It's Your Love, Everywhere, Just to See You Smile, and Where the Green Grass Grows, and two more number two singles, One of These Days and For a Little While. So that's, isn't that wild? Six of its singles out of the 11, six of the 11, probably the six that you know, made it to the top two. Yeah. Everywhere's also been certified four times platinum in the U.S. for selling more than four million copies. Other fun little trivia, it features ten different guitar players, two fiddlers, four extra vocalists, and even a cello. That's a pretty stacked band. Since Everywhere, Tim has put out 12 more studio albums, and he's had tons of success with other singles like Just to See You Smile, Live Like You Were Dying, Please Remember Me, Felt Good on My Lips, Highway Don't Care, and many, 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 many more. You probably, all of you probably know a Tim McGraw song. Even you people that say, mm -hmm. I don't like country music. I would bet you know a Tim McGraw song. And... This should come as no surprise to you, Connor, but also to the audience in particular. He's also taken up a bit of an acting career. His first acting gig was a feature on an episode of the Jeff Foxworthy show way back in 1997. He also had roles in Friday Night Lights, in Flicka, and very prominently The Blind Side, to name a few. Yep. More recently than that, though, he played a NASA engineer in Tomorrowland, and he appeared in 1883, which is a prequel to the Yellowstone series. Indeed, with his wife. Mm -hmm. Faith Hill. They actually, it was like a agreed upon thing that like if they wanted one, they had to take the other. They were doing it together or not at all. Cute. Yeah. Nothing beats extortion as a couple. <laughs> Tim McGraw has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which he received in 2006. He's been nominated for 20 Grammy Awards and he's won three, twice for Best Country Collaboration with Vocals and once for Best Male Country Vocal Performance. He's earned quite a few awards from the Academy of Country Music, Country Music Television, and the Country Music Association. And he's also got some People's Choice Awards in several years a slew of radio music awards lots of billboard music awards and even uh this is a first for us i'm pretty darn sure playgirl magazine named him one of the top 10 sexiest men in 1997 congrats tim nice yeah in addition to being an artist and a songwriter mcgraw of course is also a record producer he's helped co-produce at least five country records since 96 and he's also done a lot of charity work as his fame started to take off he hosts a Swamp Stock celebrity softball game and concert every year, 
which helps benefit baseball in Northeast Louisiana. He's also hosted a couple events to raise money for the Country Music Hall of Fame here in Nashville. He's a member of the American Red Cross National Celebrity Cabinet, which is a group that contributes to all these initiatives and fundraisers and things. And he's actually considered for a time breaking into politics, but that hasn't happened quite yet. In another trivia tidbit, uh, his annual income is estimated to be around $38 million, or at least that's what it was a couple years ago. Can you imagine? Like, what would you do if you made $38 million every year? Not this podcast. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I see. Is this just a job to you? Actually, I probably would do this podcast. Actually, I, I'd have more time to do this podcast, That's actually. True. Imagine how much better this podcast would be if we had $76 million between the two of us. Do you think Tim McGraw's ever actually been everywhere? Uh, Yeah. Yeah? Oh, you do? It's what the internet would have me believe. You type in Tim McGraw everywhere and you get tons of hits, so I assume he's done it. That's a good point. Why would you call an album everywhere if you hadn't been everywhere? Right, that'd be basically lying, and lying's bad. Tim McGraw's no liar, so... If there's one thing Tim McGraw isn't, it's a liar. Probably not. You know who is a liar, though? Uh, Everyone's favorite dastard. You really like to inflate the mixtaper's ego when you say things like that. Everybody's favorite liar. Is he not? Yeah. Hey, out there, if you have a different dastard that you prefer to the mixtaper, tell us so we can deflate his ego. Yes, please. Everybody go to our Twitter at SpinItPod and at your favorite dastard. <laughs> Love to see that. Well, what are you waiting I for? I guess, yeah, let's get him in here. Yeah. Sorry, what are you waiting for? You're just trying to kick me out. You're like, get out of here. Let him in. I want to play. I want to play Factor All spin. right, I'm sorry. Uh. I broke the tie. I want to keep going. Yeah, let me leave. Hey, it's me, your favorite dastard. Hi, mixtaper. How are you? I'm the mixtapiest. Thanks. I'm glad to hear it. Honestly, trying to decide what the best order is for these. Oh, there's not a clear final ramp? (laughs) Well, there's a clear final ramp, but I definitely know which one's last. I just don't know which one to kick off. Oh. I think we'll start with this one. He owned a sports team. That's a good first fact. And we've had facts like this before, too. Michael Buble was uh, an owner of a sports team. Mm. What sport did Tim McGraw? Was it a baseball team? I know he's a baseball fan. No, you'd think maybe it was, but it wasn't. It was football. Okay, and was it what level of team are we talking? NFL? We talking like a like a lesser league? It's an it was an arena football team. Which team is that? Uh, the Nashville Cats is the name of the team. Okay, Nashville Cats Arena League football. Uh, what's their history like? In 2005, the Arena Football League expanded to Nashville using Tennessee Titans owner Bud Adams as the majority owner of the team, the Nashville Cats, and minority owner. Tim McGraw. Interesting. Does he, you said owned in the past tense when you presented that fact, does he still own the team? Yeah, well, two years later, the team folded. Oh, not uh, a good team. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting and and sad. So did he buy into the team? Did he invest and then lose the money when the team folded? What's that look like? I don't know. They seem to be an owner. You got to pay some sort of money. He probably didn't pay much considering he was a minority owner, like not as much as like Bud Adams or anybody. Well, no, but it's still probably uh, ain't cheap. And I don't know what, depending on what his like return on investment was, maybe he made it back in two years. I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. Because, I mean, when did the Titans come to Nashville? It had to be before this. So I, I'm, I don't think the demand for arena football in Nashville is particularly high. Yeah, probably not. Mm. Ah, this is tough. This could just not be true about Tim McGraw, but I kind of think I believe it. He's a sports fan. He was in the blind side. That's a football thing. Yeah, that's football. Yeah. I'm going to say this is a spin. 
Oh, <laughs> really got me on that one. <laughs> I did. did not see that coming. Well, it was what happened was I was thinking fact, and then I did the blindside thing, and you went along with it way too easily. Oh, oh, <laughs> I see. So I shot myself in the foot here. Maybe you did. I don't know. Maybe I shot myself in the foot. Whose foot got shot? Tell me. The person with a shot foot is... You, this is a fact. Man, I should have stuck to my guns. And I knew if I went along with it, it'd make you doubt it a little bit. And that's why I went along with the blindside thing. You, I played you like a fiddle. That was, that was some dastardly fiddle play. <laughs> fiddle, uh, fiddling was another elective I took. Oh yeah, clouds and fiddling. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, that, that'll serve me right for not trusting my gut. Yeah. You know, gut is just tug backwards like Tim McGraw's father. So I'm going to trust my gut. Trust your tug. Speaking of anatomy and guts, he has a five head. What a ridiculous... (laughs) (laughs) So in my experience, people saying a five head is just to emphasize that your forehead is large, right? Because five is greater than four. So the homophone that's in forehead, they just extend that, right? A five head is just a big forehead. Are you saying that Tim McGraw has a big head? <laughs> That's what I'm saying, yeah. He has a five head. <laughs> but I'm not the one saying it. He says that. He is. Yes, he claims he has a five head. Is that quantifiable? I don't know. Like, what's the inch difference between a forehead and a five head? And is it strictly in height or... Uh, at least one. Well, you know. <laughs> How did he come to this realization that he has a big head? He's always known it. His whole life, he's felt he's had a five head. Well, surely he hasn't had the same size head his whole life. Maybe it's a ratio thing to the rest of the face. Oh, yeah. Tim McGraw's always had a five head ratio. Yeah. So why is he talking about this? Do people pick on him for it? Or did someone ask him what he thought of his own forehead? I'm a little... How this... What's... It's a huge part of why he adopted his signature look of the cowboy hat. Oh. To cover up his five head. I see. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, that'll do it. But surely it's also just because he's a country singer, right? I never thought about an ulterior motive. Yeah, but think about all the country singers who don't wear cowboy hats. Yeah, that's true. They wear baseball caps. I mean, that's... I mean, the country <laughs> music part is probably why he went with the cowboy hat style over any other hat, but... Yes, very early on in his music career, he determined he needed something to cover up his head when he was performing or having his picture taken. Has it ever taken somebody's seat on a plane? No, you don't know how badly I googled that, though. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it. I've seen Tim McGraw's forehead, right? Like, it's in the blind side. It's out there. You can find Tim McGraw's forehead. I just don't remember it. It wasn't... <laughs> Certainly not enough of a five head to like make an impression on me. It was an unremarkable forehead. An unremarkable, or an unremarkable five, five head, head, I guess. Yeah. So if he has a five head, I'm gonna say it's unremarkable. But if this is insulting, I'm sorry. But I guess this is a fact. Going fact. Yeah. Sure. You think Tim McGraw wears cowboy hats, hats because of his five head? I suppose. I don't. I don't know. This is a mean thing for you to make up. <laughs> <laughs> I am a dastard. Um. This is a fact. You got <laughs> okay, it. Good. Good. I was going to feel a little bad if it was untrue. I live in the untrue. Yeah, that's true. Tim McGraw lives in a cowboy hat. <laughs> I I would guess you don't have any other information about this fact because... Not really. It's just the way his head is shaped. Correct. When did he say that? When did the term five head start existing? I don't know. I'm not a five head expert. Five headologist. Oh. Okay, five head. That's an interesting fact. We're off to a 50-50 start, as expected. As expected. Up next, Tim McGraw has five tattoos. Four you can see, and one you can't. How do you get an invisible tattoo? No, I'm just kidding. Five tattoos, four you can see, and one you can't. Let's start with the four you can see. Where and what are they? He has a Christian fish 
the word faith, a cross with the initials of his daughters at each point, and the letters DHD, which stands for Dance Hall Doctors. Oh, okay. Dance Hall Doctors, you say? Mm-hmm. What's that? Oh, good question. Yeah, the rest of it I kind of understand. Yeah, you do? Yeah. Dance Hall Doctors, so it comes from a one of Tim McGraw's albums. Tim McGraw and the Dance Hall Doctors was his seventh studio album, and the first to feature his band, the Dance Hall Doctors. Okay. Yeah, in 2001, the popular country star journeys behind the scenes in the making of the album. So there's a book talking about the making of, the album, of that album by the same name. So I knew there was a book, too. So where are those tattoos? Like on his back, on his arms? Yeah, I know one's, like, the DHD one is above his ankle. He's got a couple up his arm, like, on his bicep, and uh, they're basically on his arms and legs. Okay, now let's get down to business. What's the tattoo you can't see? What is it, or where is it? Let's start with what is it. A leprechaun with a cowboy hat. Oh, that's exactly the right level of, (laughs) I cannot believe this is true. (laughs) Why? Why? Yeah. Because he was drunk. Okay, can't see it. If you can't see it, that limits it to a very small number of places. Where is it? Up on his thigh. Oh, that's weird. So he was just drunk. What in Tim McGraw's life prompted him to get a cowboy leprechaun? I mean, drunk or not, (laughs) is that inspired by something? I sure hope it. It probably was in the moment, right? Like, drunken probably thought it was inspired by something. How? When did he get this? Was this his first 30 years or his next 30 years? It was when he was 22 years old. Oh, a youngin'. The first 30 years. It's actually the first tattoo he ever got. No way. <laughs> so why not remove it? I know that's expensive and kind of painful and maybe not worth it all the time, but I, I don't know. Can it be worth it? To What's g- wrong with it? What do you, I don't, I just, I don't know. Nobody can see it. Nobody can see it except Faith Hill. Well, yeah. What does she think of it? I don't know. She's our only other eyewitness. Don't know how she feels about the leprechaun, but when he got the DHD on his ankle, her reaction was when he said, I don't know if my wife is going to like this, she said, I'm not your mother. So I guess that means she didn't care about little cowboy leprechaun. Does it have a name? Does he name it something? Or is it just... I'm going to choose to call it Gregory. I don't know if it has a name. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to say Tim McGraw and Gregory. That sounds false. That's a spin to me. Saying Gregory's not real. I'm saying that leprechaun might be as real as any other, and I'm calling it a spin. You're calling it wrong. This is a fact. Tim McGraw has a cowboy leprechaun tattoo. You're telling me <laughs> yep. that's a fact. On his thigh. So it's not visible. Is there like, if I Google it, will I find it? You'll find articles about it. I don't know if you'll find an image. Let me take a look here. I'm not seeing any images of it. What if this was just an elaborate prank? What if it's not real? Like he, he says, says it? that it's real and tells people. And he's like, oh yeah, I've totally got this thing and it doesn't exist. I'm seeing evidence of it. People talk about it. Yeah, people talk about it. He talks about it. But that leads us into our final ramp. He owns a private island. That's a pretty hefty thing to own. Yeah. How many people out there own private islands? I mean, there's a finite number in theory. I know that's a question you're probably not prepared to answer. I just have to think that Tim McGraw, should he own one, would be kind of part of an elite club. I googled how many people own private islands and did not get a number. He's supposedly a member of this club you're talking about with people like Mel Gibson, Nicolas Cage, Marlon Brando, Steven Spielberg, John Lennon, Shakira. Wow, okay, that's quite a list. And so where is this island? Where in the world is Tim McGraw Island? It's a smaller island off of the main island, Darby Island, in the Exuma District of the Bahamas. Ooh, tropical. What's on the island? Does he have a house there, like an airport, 
a, a, a dock. How does he get to this island? The island is is reportedly 17 to somewhere between 17 and 20 acres worth of land with one mile waterfront and two beaches. The structures on the island include a 15,000 square foot, eight bedroom main residence consisting of multiple pavilions connected by thatched roof loggias. The home includes a lookout tower and other buildings on the island consist of guest and worker housing for staff that live there year-round on the island, yurts and maintenance buildings. Wow, that's extensive. How much did he pay for this island? I mean, I, I know we talked about he was raking in $38 million a year, uh, but that island doesn't sound cheap. I don't know how much he paid for it. Wow, that's a really cool fact that would be nice to have. How often does he get to go as a musician, you know, uh, touring and stuff? I don't know. I guess you'd keep pretty busy, but... Yeah, uh, Tim McGraw loves to go there with him and his family. He says it's the most beautiful place on Earth. Okay, yeah, I can believe that. It better be if you paid untold millions of dollars for it. I called it Tim McGraw Island earlier, but... Does it have an actual name? Yes. So the name of it is Goat K. A K is a low bank or reef of coral, rock, or sand. Okay. C-A-Y. But I guess when they bought it, you know, you can name your island whatever you want when you buy an island. Of course. Well, it's your island. Yeah, exactly. So they named it Lyle de Angels. Okay, that (laughs) sounded like something uh it means isle of angels is it looks maybe latin for isle of uh of angels okay is there green grass on the island it better does he grow corn up in rows <laughs> i'm just trying to figure out if this is a place he's gonna live also i lied to you he didn't call it the most beautiful place on earth he called it the best place on earth oh that's different but also similar yeah it's very different <laughs> okay i think i'm gonna say this is true i think goat k isle of the angels is indeed a tim mcgraw private island and with that, the score is once again tied for this episode because this oh. is indeed a fact. So we went 50-50 this episode. Again, it's always 50-50s. That's four facts from you. Yeah, I did a four for. How about that? Other information I have about this fact, it's just southeast of Musha Cay, which is the private island owned by David Copperfield. Oh, magical. Yes. And it's currently, as of 2021, listed for sale with an asking price of, guess that dollar amount. Okay, well, see, that would have been a thing you could have told me when I asked how much he paid for it. It would have been acceptable yeah. to how much it's worth. I thought about it. Uh, guess how what the asking amount is. as of, Well, that's just how he bought it in 2003, so, you know, with inflation and everything, I don't know sure. what he would have paid for it. I would guess, I don't know, how much would I be willing to spend on a private island? That's a joke, because... <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't even... What's an island going for nowadays? That's kind of the whole point of this question. It's only 20 <laughs> acres, but it comes with a lot of stuff. Also, the island is completely off-grid and self-sufficient with generators and a desalination plant. I almost asked about that because I was curious how far away from shore and how they'd keep it. Provisions are shipped in by barge. Access to the island is by boat, seaplane, or private airstrip. So it does have an airstrip. Oh, yeah, look at that. I think this island costs, shoot, it's hard to say, $140 million. You do not know how much an island costs, my friend. No idea. This has an asking price of $35 million. Wow. Oh, cool. That's yeah. so much cheaper. That's not even a year's worth of income for Tim McGraw. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, what I'm saying is uh, we need to try to buy Tim McGraw's island. 
Okay, let's do, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll do that. Start a GoFundMe. We're going to pool our podcast money. We'll call it Spinny Island when we get the chance to name it. No, we won't. Oh. But if we pool our money, I think we'll get there someday. You know, we got a couple out there. Weren't we also going to make a GoFundMe to save up to buy a forest? We were going to buy for... Joe Perry a forest, but this is just for us. Yeah. I'd take an island. I mean, now we can record from the beach. One of two beaches. Be awesome. We, we can record from different beaches. <laughs> On the same island. Yep. Great. I love it. Wow. That was a good round of Factor Spin. You got some good ones in this week. Yeah. There was a lot of interesting information. There sure was. Tim McGraw is an interesting guy. With with a five head. Well, Mixtaper, we'll see you next week for another awesome, uh, probably 50-50 split episode. This is the season of 50-50. You ran away with season one and two. And then I won season three, and so season four is the season of 50-50. You're getting better, I can tell. Or you're getting worse. Well, that's also a possibility, but... Or we're both getting worse, but you're getting worse at a faster rate. That seems the most likely, doesn't it? (laughs) It really does. (laughs) And with that, I'm out of here. Back to think up more facts and spins for next week. Yeah! Well... That was fun. Welcome back, Connor. I am back. I'm sorry I kicked you out, but you see why I was so excited for that? Yeah, so excited to go 50-50 again. Okay, well, that wasn't the plan. Is it ever? No. The sad thing is you ruined it for yourself. You didn't trust You didn't trust your backwards tug. You're right. I didn't trust my gut on that first fact, and that is what cost me another win. Yeah. Let's talk about the album art on Everywhere. There's really not much to say, frankly. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's Tim McGraw covering up that five head with the cowboy hat, kind of doing a little smolder right into the camera. And to really make sure it was covered up, he cropped most of it out. It's like a two-fifths head. Yeah, it's super protected. What do you think? Does it work? Does it not work? It's just kind of here for me. Yeah, no, I think it's very in tune with a lot of country album arts from this time. That's true. (laughs) Just photos of the faces of the people singing. Yeah, and it's not like his other country albums, early ones like this, were much different. Yeah. Just him with his head at a different angle, you know? (laughs) That's how you can tell the albums apart. But this one's in black and white. It's a little moodier. But I think we should just jump right on into the first song, the first of like six that you, like you said, made it to number two on the charts. <laughs> yeah, big hits here. The first song is anything but black and white. It's Where the Green Grass Grows. I've already kind of spilled the beans on this one a little bit, but I love the crap out of this song. It's been a staple of mine, like, since before I have any memories. I promise you. Like, one of the first songs I ever knew, literally. I'm gonna live where the green grass grows. I've got a question. Is there a more iconic fiddle part in any country music post-1997? Because I racked my brain a little bit. Okay, you added a lot of clarifiers on there. Okay, yeah, true. But also, (laughs) there hasn't been a lot of fiddling country music since 1997 like since we talked about he's kind of the end of this particular country music era before everything started getting more poppy and the fiddle kind of got phased out yeah i don't know i I just think where the green grass grows is kind of darn near the fiddle's latest peak there's nothing as iconic since 1997 that i can think of yeah exactly like i'm sure it's made appearances but not that i can recall anyway so musically this song is a standout right away and the lyricism honestly nailed it this song was written by craig wiseman and jess neely and honestly personal opinion i think craig wiseman rarely misses the mark at all uh I actually had the chance to meet him and hear some of his stories a few years ago, and it was actually really incredible. He played some of his bigger songs. I said, hey, that song is, like, really significant to me. So thanks. That was cool. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I know. Definitely sounding like your score is going to be a little biased. Well, but okay, we'll but maybe, but maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. Just, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, this song really paints a picture in your head as you're listening to it. 
I mean, all these lines just spark major imagery. Yeah, right from the beginning, taillights as red ants marching into the night. It's a classic. That's a great line. And I got to say, the the 99-cent heart attack feels such, like, that's a line from the 90s, you know? Now it's a a four-for-four heart attack. Wendy's not a sponsor. Not a sponsor, but could be. But could be. I just, I don't know. I like so much of that. Planning our dreams where the peaceful river flows. Ah, I really like the line. You, You said a good chunk of the first one lines but i really like the ending one and the camels buried in a big straw stack yeah that's a great line you know like the the phrase straw that broke the camel's back so just like the camels long been back broken lying on the ground and now just straw is piling up on it. it's still just piling up yeah it's true. It's not stopping. There's a couple different associations that that line kind of draws to mind. And it's a good one. It's a very powerful line. And uh, I kind of like bars on the corners and bars on my heart. It's a pretty clever parallel and like a double usage of bars. Yep. Concrete grown in the city park. Literally, literally every line in this song is certified poetry. I don't know about certified. Well, but. find one that's not. I challenge thee. They're, they're good. I'm just not saying. Like, don't Let's not be throwing around every line is certified poetry. Okay. Fair, fair. I'll allow that. That's valid. But I think it's a great opening song. It's a great opening song. Draws you right into the Tim McGraw country music vibe, and it keeps you there. Up next, though, uh, that song only lasts for a little while before we get into For a Little While. Another one that hit number two. <laughs> yep, biggies right off the bat. So I guess the last one hit number one, right? So I, I, I said hit at least number at two. Le- yeah. The last one was a number one, and this one was one of the number twos. Yeah, hit or pass, number two. Yeah, I love the way he launches into that chorus. He just really lets it rip. I laugh every time that um, that fires up. I'm I'm in it. I'm with it. You laugh? That's the line. He he starts into the chorus. Oh, oh yeah, okay. I don't know why I interpreted that as like you were saying you laugh every time he hits the chorus. This chorus is hilarious. I was like, what? No, <laughs> it's the line. It's the line in the song. <laughs> I just like the way he sings it. And I also, I just like the way that this song is such like a happy reminiscence. I think a lot of songs like this, they kind of tend to get sad or mopey and go, dang, like I wish. You know, remember when times were so good and... This song really doesn't burden itself with that. Well, it's great because it's like it's the continuation of the previous song. The previous song is him talking about what he's going to do, right? He's going to go to where the green grass grows. And this is like he's there now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It also kind of embodies that mantra, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. Very nice positive attitude. I don't know. I, I think it's yeah. a great second track to raise the energy of the album and to like propel us right onward. I, does it raise it or does it just keep Because I think green grass grows has a pretty high energy to it already it does but i I do think this pushes it to the next level i guess there's just yeah it maybe pushes it you know up a level because uh, again the way he hits the eye lap and he goes high with it and holds it like that's it's powerful it is and it's a little faster paced too than where the green grass grows a lot of the piano work in there really keeps it moving is it kind of funny the the bridge kind of strikes me funny how i keep seeing pictures of me and her in those summer nights like how do you keep seeing them without like looking for them yeah they're not just around like you've sought that out yeah listen he didn't say he didn't seek it out he just i keep seeing claimed him. he kept yeah. seeing him <laughs> pulled it out and i oh there it is so long on love but short on time just top tier Top tier songwriting here. And then from there we go into the next number one hit, It's Your Love. <laughs> it's Your Love. This one was a huge song. Yeah, it's still. I mean, I hear it on the radio from time to time still. Oh, yeah. Well, of course. You know, it's Tim and Faith. This is country music's yeah. power couple. One of their most well-known and well-loved duos. I think in this song, the chorus is great. The verse, I think, has some dips. I'll be honest. Really? Yeah. Some simplicities, some things. Uh, emotional touch touching my skin i don't love the double touch really yeah i I don't like that no i I think it's a good 
I actually, I actually like that. I like the um the symmetry of it. I guess. Uh, yeah, it kind of does mirror itself a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's not for me. Plus, I, I mean, I mean to talk about simplicity's sake. Uh, who I am now is who I wanted to be, and now that we're together, I'm stronger than ever. I'm happy and free. That one doesn't do much for me. Hmm, but that chorus. Yeah, I was gonna say the chorus picks it right back up. Even the pre-chorus is a beautiful thing. I gotta let you know what can't yeah. let me go. It's your love, and then it just it that scratches the it's just right it sends a shock right through me and i can't get enough it does something to me too yeah i i honestly don't even know if i can really fault it for its simplicity because that's kind of just what this song is you know like that's the nature of the love and the relationship that they're trying to convey it's easy it's natural and it's effortless so i mean in a certain sense i guess i can give it a begrudging pass on that it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I don't think you can keep it all in. And Faith Hill's uh, subtle accompaniment is perfect. Absolutely. You know, it's the perfect amount of her in there. Like, their voices just sound so good together. I know. It's almost like they're married. Yeah, okay, but just because you're married to someone doesn't mean your voice sounds good with them. That's true. They came together through music, and their voices sounded good together, and then they got married, and now they do all the songs together. It's like, it was the perfect coming together of two people. It's true. And this song really embodies that pretty well, I think. Yeah. Up next on the docket... Of course, uh, we kind of go out of that lower energy ballad into the classic Ain't That the Way It Always Ends. Is it classic? I don't know. Maybe, again, it's just a classic in my mind. It's one of the five that isn't a number two or better. (laughs) It's true. Yeah, well, Ain't That the Way It Always Ends. This song kind of makes me laugh because it sounds so happy, but everybody just sucks. Yeah, it's... Bobby gets his heart broken by a girl who stole his heart in a pickup truck and drove off in a Mercedes-Benz. Uh, this Karen literally walks in on her man in bed with another lover. And the motto here is just kind of like, well, don't that just beat it? Like, shoot, dang, guess that's just how it is. Which is so wild to me. What a concept for a song. I told you, it's all its all those straws just going up on the camel that already has a broken back. Yeah. It's like, what are you going to do? Your back's already broken. What's one more? What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, ain't that the way? That's just a should have known, you know? Yeah. It is kind of a sad, kind of a very sad outlook and kind of lesson that the song tries to impart. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's, <laughs> it's bleak. Like- but it sounds so happy. Very pessimistic. Yeah. Oh, and she looks so innocent talking about being just friends. That chorus is so sing-alongable, which is sad because everybody just has a bad time. Yeah. I don't know. I-, I think it's just so catchy, so fun to listen and jam out to. It's a really upbeat take on a breakup song, and it's refreshing in a in a sick, like, twisted musical sense. It's a bummer. Yeah. It's a bummer in a lyrical sense, but this album hasn't had any bummers yet, so it's not so bad. Listen, I, I get what you're coming from, kinda. Kinda? Like, I do, but I don't. Yeah, I do, uh, but I don't. That's track number five on this record. Yeah, it is. I nailed it. Nailed that transition. You didn't steal from me. I didn't. No, I see I'm doing better. I think this song is a great time to actually get mopey. First one, too. Yeah, this album has had the upbeat, sad songs, and it's had the slowed-down, lovey songs. Like, this is the first time we actually have... A pretty standard collision of the slow, sad song. Yeah. And I think that works really great after Ain't That The Way It Always Ends. The speaker's got an ex trying to come back into his life, and he kind of wants to try again, but he kind of thinks it'd be a bad idea. So we get that dichotomy. Oh, I do, but I don't. I want to, but I won't. So that's why this chorus is such a, a mess of contradictions and contractions. Do, don't, want to, won't, am, ain't, could, can't, right, wrong. Like, what's happening? This is a great lesson in opposites. Tim McGraw, you nailed it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it's just a clever way to express all the complicated feelings that come along with considering restarting a relationship in this way. It's not always just a yes, I'm in, or a no, I'm out. Like, there's a lot more nuance to that, and I think the song expresses that 
really, really well. So I have one problem with this song. Yeah. So I really like the chorus. You do? I do, actually. Do you not? You sounded surprised. Well, I just wanted, I thought you were going to say, but I don't. I don't know. I was, I was leaning oh, into it. Oh, <laughs> I see. No, I do. I really like both the pacing of it. You know, the pauses he puts in between the lines. The I do pause, but I don't pause. I want to pause, but I won't pause. I like the pause. I like the rising and falling that he chooses to do with it. It's, it's very um, stair-steppy. It goes all around. Running up and down those stairs. A lot of fun back and forths going on. Like it a lot. But there's just not enough surrounding it to support it. You got one mm. short verse at the beginning. Then you get the short verse in the middle. And then you're right back into it. And then the song's over. It's like I needed a little more before you went right back into to just a bunch of blanket statements like I do but I don't there are a lot of contradictory statements yeah just, I just needed a little more to round out the song a little more substance yeah that was my only real issue with it it's great it's very catchy it is just wanted a little more I guess I don't know I think it gives you just enough especially in that second verse I love the way he chooses the adjective bittersweet kiss that's a great way to express that this resolve is kind of crumbling further but it's also not all that is cracked up to be I like it in the middle there it just didn't feel as rounded out as some of the bigger ones it, yeah, that's a good point. I guess it, it does hang. It leaves a little more hanging in the balance. And the stinger, of course, is at the end. Don't ask me if I know what I want because I do, but I don't. Like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I want this. Yeah, I also don't want this. I don't know where I fall on that spectrum. It's great. I'll just say this song was in contention for Connor Top 3 territory. Oh, yeah. Of the ones that aren't number one or number two hits, this was probably my favorite. Nice. Was it one that you knew before or was that a first timer for you? No, no. This was one I didn't recognize at least. I'm not saying I didn't know it, but. Okay. Yeah, it didn't quite squeak in just because it wasn't as rounded out as some of the ones I did pick, unfortunately. Yeah. Now, the next song on the list is One of These Days. And this song isn't about heartbreak. It's just going to break your heart. Like, what the heck? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it is. And it's uh, the other top two song i believe yeah this one sneaks up on you it starts off with uh the poor bullied kid right my, my first note for that section is where he says he wasn't cool like me i said settle down timmy <laughs> like give you know all right all right hey listen he has an island he's pretty cool he's pretty cool you're right well this kid is not having an island he's not as cool as that and this kid no. straight up runs away and he tells the bullies you'll regret this when you're older you're gonna sigh a little and cry a little about the ways that you bullied me like that's pretty direct and it's not even that he said because the line of priesthood says and i and in his eyes i heard him say yeah he's just he's blinking so that out in like, Morse code. it's just the way he feels yeah it's rough and then after the bullied kid we have patty sue his high school sweetheart from 1990 something that's a patty <laughs> sue is a name you don't see much anymore but he leaves her standing alone with his class ring he's breaking up with her she begs him not to leave because one of these days and you know the rest right you're gonna sit down and and wish you had this back you'll miss it and sigh and cry and you know one of these days you're gonna love me yeah and so there's two things i want to point out in both of those verses they really i think hit you with some fun like if you're not paying attention to it you might not pick up on he's very careful about his phrasing of his lyrics here right I think your line that you wanted to make fun of, the cool like me, right? That's meant to imply he was part of the cool kids that were bullying him. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. He's guilty of this. It's convicting. Yeah. And so then he saw it in his eyes that he was going to regret it someday. And it almost sounds like he does regret it, right? Oh, absolutely. It's like the implication. And then the same thing happens in the 
Okay, don't be ta- saying oh, absolutely We're is like there. it's obvious. We're you're getting there. you are you're you're biased because you grew up with this album over and over and have point time to analyze it. I'm saying for people who maybe haven't listened to it a million times, well, this is something they might have missed. But it's hard to miss when you get to the third verse because well, I'm, I'm not there yet. You're jumping ahead. I'm verse sorry. two, ahead. he tells you the whole thing about Patty Sue, and then he hits you right with the stinger right before the chorus where he says, "And to this day, she's whispering." You know, like she was. Right, he's still in her dreams to this day, yeah. whispering that you're gonna love me and you're gonna wish you and turn turn from me, yada yada yada. Yeah, and then that bridge in the third verse is really kind of what congeals this whole song for me. It kind of brings this whole thing around from a what the heck moment to an awe, like a sweet kind of ending. And he realizes he, he he goes to church or whatever, finds his faith, and then he realizes what he's done wrong. He kind of accepts and embraces this guilt that he feels and decides to start moving towards forgiving himself because. And the big pivot is. One of these days, I'm going to love me. Yeah, classic pivot. And I mean, that's really just what seals the deal on this song. Kind of takes it from a bit of a ridiculous song, like what are we even talking about, into a moment that's like, whoa, kind of hits you like a ton of bricks. It's a great song. I mean, at least a half ton of bricks. Deserved to be number one. Yeah, it did. But it didn't. No. Wonder if it not getting to number one stressed him out. It was probably hard on his ticker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Track seven is hard on the ticker. And uh, it's a song about giving up all the things in life that are bad for your heart, both literally and figuratively. Uh, first of all, I got to ask, how much pimento cheese are you eating, Tim? <laughs> I mean, the very first thing that he says I gave up is, is pimento cheese. Like, <laughs> that has to be, for that to be a meaningful thing to give up. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just one of the things, like, when, like, you give something up that's not really that meaningful, but it makes it look makes you feel like you're trying. Oh yeah, yeah. Like he doesn't eat it often, but now he can't eat it. Yeah. I also I just want to I'll say it here on the podcast to get ridiculed and on social media and in the comments. I really don't know what pimento cheese is, and at this point, I'm a little afraid to ask. Really? I see it on things. Like I'll see people. It'll say like, "Oh, pimento cheese on this." And like when I was down in Nashville, I got that one dish that was that had covered in pimento it. cheese. Apparently, yeah, you've eaten pimento cheese. It didn't really taste any different from regular cheese. What makes it special? Pimento doesn't. Like, like peppers and stuff pimentos are, okay yeah oh it's just like all these people talk about how great pimento cheese is i'm like i don't i never really knew what made it special well then it'd be easy for you to give up yeah but domino's delivery oh gosh <laughs> yeah <No. laughs> yeah he, he also quits domino's delivery whiskey sours apple pies kentucky fried chicken uh, a bunch of things that are now gastronomic history what a phrase I mean, that's one I'll certify poetry, right? Gastronomic history. That's pretty great. Wow. Yeah. Like a fart in the wind. Honestly, that little bit kind of reminded me uh, of another later Tim McGraw song, My Next 30 Years, where he drinks a few more lemonades and not as many beers and kind of does this, Mm. but on a, a whole song scale. So those are things that are physically hard on his heart, right? And then he says he's given up scary movies, roller coasters, stressy things, and just taking it slow. Other things that are, like, hard on his heart in that sense. And why is he making these changes? Well, it's because his poor heart is already under enough stress. His girl is hard enough on the ticker. Yeah. He doesn't need all these bad habits and pressures. And on his ears. She nipples on them. (laughs) Yeah, well, that (laughs) would... Yeah. I think... Okay, here's my thought on the chorus. I have a note. Uh, It's... It's a clever twist to get to heart on the ticker, but I cannot stand the certified buffoonery line, she ought to have a sticker to warn people that she's hard on the ticker. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. a bad rhyme. Do yeah, better. That's do a bad better one. than ought to have a sticker. Yeah, that one's not great. I do like the pre-chorus ramp up um, of the, I ought to get a policy, a double, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Gave up on the word indemnity, didn't you? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> 
I'd make it make my beneficiary a whole lot richer. And you like you like um, what's the term I'm looking for? The musical term where you like slide into the note, right? He but he slides up rather than down. Most people go down into a note. He went up into it. Yeah, I think that's a really bizarrely involved pre-chorus. I had it in my notes too because like what a I don't know what a what a break from the normal tone of this song. Yeah, I gave up dominoes, and I better get a double indemnity to make my beneficiary rich. Like, wow, we just really <laughs> whipped it all out there. The, the the terminology is strong. I hate that, and I love it. I do, but I don't. You know, it's just the little things like that that give this album a lot of its charm. To be fair, I also, I guess we should say the sticker line's not as bad as it could be. It could, you're right. It could be worse. It could have just been she ought to have a sticker, but he backs it up with that starting phrase the girl is such a hazard she ought to have a sticker because okay. like hazard sticker is a thing yeah it is the hazard sticker it's established it's it's a little better than it could be but it's not <laughs> as good as it should be yeah it's iffy certified iffy up next all the places tim mcgraw's been everywhere the title track title track and another number one question mark yes it is i just looked yeah I love it. I, and the general concept is we've broken up and I just can't escape you. You're everywhere. So now he says, let me list all the places that everywhere is. <laughs> let me list everywhere. <laughs> That's pretty much what this song is. I think that concept maybe has become a little played out in recent times. I think a lot of songs try to tackle this idea of I see you everywhere, right? There's no escaping you. Yeah. But I mean, this was 1997. 97. This is one of the originals. And I think it does it pretty well. I, I kind of like the contrast of growing up in a small town with the expanding scope of seeing her everywhere after that, right? She doesn't want to leave the town, but when they split up and he skips town, he says, sorry, you know, you left town anyway. He carries her memory everywhere. Sweet, it's sad, it's really well executed. But, I, I mean, a, a blizzard in Albuquerque is a really interesting place to start. I don't think Albuquerque gets many blizzards. Maybe he's in a Dairy Queen. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's like another Albuquerque he could be mentioned thinking of. Well, look at like, all these places. About. Apparently everywhere for Tim McGraw is just in the south because it's Albuquerque, it's Arizona, it's Georgia, it's Carolina. Where's the farthest north we go? Oklahoma, Texas. So we got Carolina. Carolina is probably as far north as he gets. And even that's a south. There could be a South Carolina. Who knows? Could be. I don't know how t- far up is Oklahoma. That's right next to Texas. It's Texas's hat. It covers Texas's five head. I'm just trying to think if Texas's hat goes above Carolina or not. I'm not a map expert. A mapologist. But yeah, waiting on a blizzard in Albuquerque. It's a weird one, right? Why do we start there? I know he needs a rhyme with desert. To but... be fair, to be fair, I guess like an inch of snow in the south is like a blizzard to them. It's true. So... No, it does shut down everything. And it's not because it's necessarily like awful, but it's because nobody knows what to do with the roads. You're kind of stuck because there's <laughs> just not the resources. Anyway, I do have to point out maybe one of my favorite bits of lyric anywhere on this album you're on every highway just beyond the high beams right beside me in all of my sweet dreams mostly i really like highway and high beams that's kind of a really great pairing for me oh it doesn't use the word high too many times no as a matter <laughs> of fact it doesn't thanks oh, that was just called back to when you said you used the word touch twice in the same sentence and you didn't like that no you didn't like the double touch but that was back to back that was back to back touching now we've got a, a highway in between the high beams Fair enough. Listen, I'm just saying things just to see you smile. Well, that's very sweet of you, unless you're talking to the audience again and (laughs) not me. You know what? This one was for you, buddy. Thank you. Wow. Just to see you smile is track nine on this album. Did you smile when I said that? I did. Yeah. 
Ah, it worked, sucker. But you didn't see it, so I guess in a certain <laughs> sense it, it didn't work. Oh, fair enough. Just to See You Smile is apparently the most popular song, according to Spotify. 122 million compared to the next highest, when the, Where the Green Grass Grows, at 88. This does not strike me as the most popular song from this album. Yeah, well, that's what Spotify claims. Yeah, I believe it, I guess. It's a simple concept, right? Look at all the lengths I'd go to just to see you smile. You could kind of infer... Everything he's going to say from the title, which is nice in some ways, but also eh, it's, it's a little intense. You know, I'd spend all my money on a beautiful piece of jewelry just because you like things that glittered. I quit my job and move from Texas to Tennessee. It's very committed. I feel like this is super popular due to its chorus. Is this another karaoke song? Maybe the just to see you smile feels karaoke. It does. The chorus is the best part of the song. Maybe that's why. I love the ping ponginess of it. You know, it's up, down, it's all around. It's so good. And I'd never count the cost. It's worth all this lost just to see you smile. Yeah. That's kind of a ringer for me. I'm just saying, I'm trying to think. It's either like karaoke or it's in like a movie or something that's super popular and caused it. Because you're right, it shouldn't be the most popular, but it's probably got the most sing-alongable chorus, and so it could be a karaoke hit. Uh, you know what I think it is, maybe? I think this one ages better than a lot of the rest of the songs. This song feels less trapped in the 90s yeah. than something like Hard on the Ticker. That's true. And who, who's not a sucker for an upbeat love song? I, I love the song up until we just hit the most unnecessary pivot on this entire album, they break up and she's been sad and she comes up to him with a new man on her arm and he doesn't like that but he just wants to see her smile so he says he's doing great and he lies and he says he's plenty happy i mean i was with it until that right that feels like it just besmirches what would otherwise be one of the album's sweetest moments i feel like we just undercut it with that i think it fits the theme of the album though a lot of this album is about i think fits this song like i said we've had a lot of upbeat sad or we've had the couple we had the one that was truly melancholy and slow i just feel this whole thing most of these songs have been bittersweet that's actually very true i mean we talked about the bittersweet kisses and so i I think it fits while it's a complete undercut it kind of makes you go oh you know he moved for you he did all these things for you and then you left him but it's got that bittersweetness of you know the chance to like you say he told her he was happy she gave him the chance i'd lie again just to see you smile like he's still again that bittersweetness of the yeah he's not happy but she is and seeing that smile is good enough i guess yeah it's kind of got the same vibes as maybe for a little while where you know we broke up and it wasn't it's like not our time it was great and i smile i laugh when i think about it but oof i don't know I I just thought this song maybe should be different than it is. Yeah. And then we close out the official album with You Just Get Better all the time. I'll be honest, I think this is one of the worst ending songs that we've had. Yeah, I know. And it's kind of sad. I think this is one of the tracks that I'm the most indifferent towards on this entire record. And it's it's kind of the one that's left to close it. I feel like if this song's going to be on the album, it belongs somewhere in the middle, sandwiched in between better songs. Then to just be the final taste that's left in our mouth. Not my favorite. Like, part of me likes that he's slowed it down to kind of bring us down for the finale. But, I mean, you're right. It does. It is kind of culture sh- or, or, or shock to the system to hear, to hit this after, you know, just to see you smile and everywhere. Yeah, the biggest song on the album with one of the most underwhelming. But could you imagine ending it with just to see you smile 
And trying to end on that sad note? No, I can't. But I would have, I would have thrown the bonus track. You turned me on in there. Yeah, but it was the bonus track, right? Didn't have to be. I guess I don't know. I don't know when the bonus track was. The bonus track always there, or was it added as a bonus later? Usually, bonus implies like extra from like added in. That's true, but it usually exists at the time you make the album. I, I mean, bonus tracks are usually songs that just kind of get cut. I also just really like that there's not really a chorus to this song. You know I me, mean? I like it when it's a lot of verse-heavy stuff. It really tells a good story, and I'm a sucker for ballads. You know, absolutely. Well, if you're a sucker for ballads, this album's kind of full of them. I think you turned me on came out with the album. Hmm. Yeah, which uh, is good. I really do think it needed that i don't know uh you just get better all the time it's pretty short and sweet basically the idea is you just keep getting better and as long as you're with me so will i i know i said at the beginning that ain't that the way it always ends was probably my favorite of the non number one or two hit songs yeah but i don't know this one i could get that one to run for its money depending on what mood i'm in which one i'd want to listen to more wow (laughs) okay fair enough if i'm really in a ballad heavy mood i might take you just get better all the time over ain't that the way it always ends yeah well fair but i do just think i feel like we can't just end on that song bonus track you turn me on i think this song is a much better closer i guess in a certain sense it feels like another end credits song it's the curtain call of the album lighthearted, fun kind of upbeat it's a good good cap to put on this record he starts by listing all the things that he's off he, you know tim mcgraw really likes these listy songs doesn't he yeah i think a tim mcgraw ingredient is lists and a chorus that pivots that into something that's new and unexpected, right? Tim McGraw is off love. He's off women. He's he's on hunting and fishing, but he's off lovesick foolery, and it ain't cool. I don't know. It, it's okay. He, he's off all that stuff. But then, all of a sudden, before he can get too deep into his hobbies... You flip the switch on the Duma Flitch. Yeah, you flip the switch on the Duma Flash. I looked up this word. Uh, according to Urban Dictionary, Duma Flash is a word used when you don't know what a thing is, or yeah. a random object, or well, a funny word to call someone who's being weird. Yeah, like like that, or a thingamajig, or a whatchamacallit, or a... Yeah, you've, never, you've never heard of that, Duma Flash? I've not really heard the word Duma Flash, no. That's kind of a, a new one for me, but thingamajig obviously i'm familiar with a lot of fun country ways to say things when you don't know what they are yeah also i mean okay but like what is this chorus i played my piano like liberace i feel like we're all up and down and over the place like ooh, you, you turn me on in all these weird ways yeah a lot of a lot of bizarre analogies here crank the tractor he gets kind of growly on the word woman too which is interesting that woman you tripped the trigger it's like whoa there calm down Woo, deep breath Tim. <laughs> unflip it unflip it unflip, yeah <laughs> turn it back off <laughs> unreversed yeah i mean that's basically the song you know it's that lighthearted. yeah i don't know i think i disagree with you i've been agreeing with you on most of the album i think i disagree with you about the ending i think i would have preferred the other one to end it really yeah disgusting no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I, I feel like in my head, this is the canonical end to the album. Instead of the mid-tier, you just get better all the time. I would prefer. I mean, it is the end of the album, right? It's the last song, so... Well, yeah, sure. But I just... If it's a bonus track, I kind of don't count it as a bonus track. I think it's a necessary track. I like the melancholy ending. Fair enough, fair enough. But that takes us into Final Spin. Yeah, let's get to it. I got scores. I got opinions. I've probably said most of them already. I'm going to keep it pretty short and sweet. This album is is fun. It's sing-alongable musically. And honestly, I, I think it's pretty unexpected sometimes with the way that they pair the music and the lyrics on some of these songs. I think that's a cool musical decision, especially something like Ain't That The Way It Always Ends. Very unexpected pairings there. I don't think there's really too many musical doll spots on this album. 
Given Music in 91 is a pretty solid near turn of the millennium country album. They don't make them like this anymore. At least most people don't. Even Tim McGraw doesn't. Lyrically, ooh, I love all the twists and the turns. I, I really like the range that this album presents of funny and serious moments. And I think that there's some cleverness to the way that these words are manipulated to music that doesn't fit their mood. It kind of makes the lyrics pop in a certain way. I don't know, I, I just like the contrast of moments like one of these days I'm gonna love me with you cranked my tractor, turned me on, you know what I mean? This, it's, it's impressive that this album has a range that can encompass both without either feeling out of place or forced. So I'm giving lyrics an 88. Instruments of production? I think this is pretty clean and crisp. I love that fiddle. The classic country sound doesn't ever really feel overdone. I think it fits the song and Tim McGraw's vocals really well. Heck yes, I I'm kind of all in on the instruments in production. Except like, I, I don't know, like you mentioned, there are moments where it's a little unsupported, like I do, but I don't. And for me, you just get better all the time. I'm going to give instruments in production an 86. Vibe? I was very pulled in by this album. I, I Like I said, solid balance of funny and serious. It doesn't really try to present itself as a big experience, you know? I think it's content to be a looser collection of songs, and I think it's better off for that. Like some of these albums, I don't know, uh, Kid A or American Idiot or something, you, you really have to like check in and sit there and experience an album as an album. I think this is one that works just as well as a collection of singles, but it also is here altogether, and I don't mind that. I think that serves the songs well. Giving it an 89 for Vibe. No bonus point, as Tim McGraw did not write these songs and that means its overall score is an 89.2 89.2 all right would have been in the 90s had it gotten that bonus point yeah it would have so where's that put it that puts it at number 107 on the spreadsheet 107 where would it have been if it got the bonus point would it top crack the top 100 or with a 90.2 it is safe to say it would be at least number 81 81 nice yeah it would have been but it's not yeah i'm just saying 81 yeah that's, it does but it doesn't it's a lot of room there in that one point yeah there is a lot of albums yeah hiding that one point it's true it's a dense point uh my playlist pick i'm gonna nail it down right away and make things hard on you for a change is where the green grass grows yeah i see i've already knew that was coming i know so i've been preparing this entire time for it yeah well and uh for you as far as your picks go i might remind you that you do only get a top three from this one and no honorable mention i also only get a that for this one you took two for coheed and this is the second top threeable episode since then so yeah i did have a top six i played myself you did you only get oh, three no. from tim mcgraw oh no that makes it harder yeah it does <laughs> Man, all right. Well, sorry to that one. Give it the hard cut. Here's why that hurts a lot, because I was planning to take a bonus one on this one. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I got to knock myself down two of them here instead of just one. Can't just cut the carnival mention. I also have to pick one of my other ones to, <laughs> to knock off. Yeah, that stings. A lot of that Dead Space will have been cut out, audience, but I would have to be silent there for a bit to knock myself down to three. Several minutes. Yeah. All right, well, in album order. No, actually, I'm going to change it. I'm going to do it this way, just to spite you. Okay, Here we go. okay. Do whatever your gut tells you. In album order, It's Your Love. Okay. One of These Days, and Just to See You Smile. Yeah, okay. I, I think, in my head, you were going to do something different there, and then you did uh, something out of spite to me, which was you took away Where the Green Grass Grows in favor of another <laughs> song. But I can't say that officially because they can't know. Because you can't pick another uh, another one. Yeah, can't tell you. But I just, I have a hunch. Don't know what that was. Might have been. Yeah. Who's to say? No one's to say. And where's your playlist pick going to fall? Oh, this is rough. 
This has maybe been the hardest playlist pick for me in a while. Well, for a little while. Yeah, well, I want each of these three songs. Like, sometimes I've wanted more than one song, but I've, you know, either we've compromised in some way or, like, one song made more sense for our playlist over the other. Yeah. But in this one, I want each of those three I named for different reasons. I said, just to see you smile, the most popular, got the most sing-alongable chorus most time uh, you know it keeps up with the times best just that hook on it's your love it's got like I said, it's got faith hill on it and tim mccraw be a fun way to sneak faith hill onto the playlist early the ballad guy yeah <laughs> and then one of these days is just like the most heavy hitting you know it really punches you yeah just like you punched that little kid you were bullying hey whoa i wasn't cool not you just i just in general that was directed at tim mccraw gotcha yeah I don't know. I'll, I'll ask for your opinion. Oh, wow. I get input. Yeah, I'll let you get some input. Well, out of your three, I would not take one of these days. I would take just to see you smile. Really? You wouldn't take the most heart punchy? Yeah, no. Mm. I would take just to see you smile. Fair enough. But It's Your Love would be my second pick. Yeah, I guess in my heart, I know it's got to be either just to see you smile or It's Your Love. It's just whether or not I want Faith Hill or not. Faith Hill is the only other person that's seen that leprechaun. We could have both (laughs) people, well, I guess the tattoo artist, we could have 66% of the people who have seen Tim McGraw's leprechaun on the playlist. And then maybe, I mean, maybe his kids if he's been like in something swimming that reveals part of it or something. There's chances. Either way. Wait, we can have a significant percentage of the people who have seen Tim McGraw's Leprechaun on the playlist. All right, I've made my decision, and I've got justification for it. Okay, hit me. I'm going with Hard on the Ticker. No, kidding. <laughs> whoa, whoa, out of left field. <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. I'm going with It's Your Love. And the reason, Where the Green Grass Grows and Just to See You Smile have a more similar energy, whereas It's Your Love is the slower, more ballad style. And so it'll give us a nice flavoring of the two different styles on the album. Okay. Rather than picking two of the same style. Yeah. And one could argue Hard on the Ticker is the third style. <laughs> yeah, good, good. It would probably lump in with the Where the Green Grass Grows in terms of tempo, and but yes. Yes, I I think that's all right. A fine pick by me. Yes. You made it through your two weeks of being back from the Coheed extras. Yeah, I need to go punch past me in the face. I think you've already missed the chance. Unfortunately, he's slippery, that one. He's always out of reach. I want to give him a talking to. Yeah, well, the best you could do is, is give a talking to future you instead. Hey, future me? Don't screw over future current me. That's just a mess. Every time you listen to this podcast episode now, you'll have that little reminder for yourself. My score and unit this week is a respectable... Eight unremarkable five heads out of ten. Unremarkable? It's not a remarkable five head. Tim McGraw, if you're listening, your five head is fine. Eight. Eight, eight, eight. An eight. Yes, indeed. I think that's good. I wouldn't have been surprised if you gave this a nine, mm-hmm. but... Didn't quite, it didn't quite hit nine territory for me. No. Didn't quite flick the bick. This is actually, for me, going to sit right above. I like it when you sleep, for you are so beautiful, yet so unaware of it. Wow. By the 1975. Okay. That's a pretty high eight, I think. Yeah. I I don't think it quite hit Randy Travis levels for me, which is the next closest country up the list. No. Yeah. He he took Tim McGraw's Everywhere and gave it a fling. Yeah. Oh, great. Good album. I like it. Good. A good little dive into your and I's childhood there. Like I said, that was music that was really popular as we were growing up. So Yeah, this was a fun episode for me. Same. I hope it was a fun episode for you too out there. If it was, you can let us know on Twitter, at SpinItPod, and on Instagram, at SpinItPodOfficial. Or you can find us on our website, www.SpinItPod.com. Or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Which is here. Yeah. And uh, next week, we've got an exciting treat. We're getting back into the oft-talked-about spin cycle of albums. Next week, we're picking an album that 
was inspired by an earlier episode of the podcast, an album I hadn't listened to until we did an earlier episode. And which episode inspired it? Episode 20, Plastic Hearts by Miley Cyrus. Yeah, it did. Is what led me to next week's album. She lives on into episode 63. So she does. And and you'll have to wait around and see what it is. Or if you're familiar with that episode, you might already have a guess. Maybe you know. Maybe you know. But uh, until then, you're going to have to tune in to find out. We'll see you next week. And until then, keep Keep spinning. spinning. You took it lighter on the milk this week. Uh, don't even say that word to me. Milk. Also, it's the mixtape who had that problem, right? Oh, yeah. Sorry. It was just you also. Hey, it's me. Okay. Yeah, hey, welcome back. You took it easier on the milk this week, didn't you? Oh, gosh, milk. It's my new arch enemy, cows. Cows are your new arch enemy? And cherry trees. Cows and cherry trees. Wow, that's that's a rough way to live. That's what I'll be for Halloween next year. You're going to be a cherry tree and a cow for Halloween? Yeah, it's going to be a cherry tree with black and white spots. All in one kind of thing. You're going to be a cherry cow that gives cherry milk? A cherry tree with udders. Gross. <laughs> in the episode!